Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. Hello and welcome to U.S. Cake. So the chances are pretty good that you already believe that it's essential to do user research in order to design and build products and services that really work well, that solve real needs, and that create engaging experiences. Chances are also pretty good that at some point you have or you will feel like your research is being overlooked or even ignored or just not making the impact that it should be. Or maybe you've had trouble making a case for doing more research. And the number one way to get your team or your organization on board with doing more research is to make sure that the research that is done is super effective. So how do you do that? My guest today is Danielle Jones, and she's got a recipe for making research more effective. Danielle is a user experience research lead at ZS, a management consulting firm in the Chicago area. And she's giving a talk at the upcoming Convey UX conference called A Recipe for In-House Research. I wanted to find out more about it, so I caught up with her recently where she was working from home while Chicago was in the middle of a polar vortex. Thank you so much, Danielle, for joining me on UX Cake. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thanks for having me. And I'm very grateful that you're able to connect, even though it's like snowpocalypse or something like that in Chicago. Yeah, we, we kind of go by Chiberia right now. It's okay. that bad outside. <laughs> well, you are going to be giving a presentation coming up in March at the UX Convey Conference, which is happening here in Seattle, where I am. And and I was really interested to see the topic of your conversation called A Recipe for UX Research In-House. So let's start out with you kind of telling us a little bit about that. I guess one of the things that made me think about it is I come from a both worlds, I guess I would say. I come from the world of in-house now, but I also have done agency. And wherever I am, I kind of feel like the research highlander. I always like to kind of evaluate and evangelize, bringing research into our process. And it's great in agency life because they kind of expect you to automatically be that expert and know everything that's going on in there because they're like, we're paying you. We want you to know this. But when you're in-house, it's almost like starting all over again and nobody like really respects the work that you do right away. And so you have to build that credibility up. And I was just thinking like, what would I have wanted to know? What would I want to kind of start with to to make this easier for somebody else or kind of make these projects go a little bit faster because we get the bum rap a lot of the times because we're not one of those like revenue driven departments. We can't say that it's instantly going to, you know, make this kind of improvement. So people are just kind of spending money on us in house without perceivably seeing their return on investment, but we do, we offer so much. So I wanted to kind of put that into the spotlight to kind of combat some of those common misperceptions and, you know, what can we do to make our teams like stand out like the rock stars that we are. The name a recipe brings to mind is the ingredients and directions, right? For, for something. So 
is what you are talking about kind of putting together those ingredients and directions for effective research? Yeah, I really was trying to convey it in a way that we don't normally think about. Like, one, I am a cooking show junkie. And I took it a little bit step further and I said, wow, there really is a recipe to this. There's a whole bunch of steps, steps that happen before you ever really get started. And when you start thinking about it and putting it together a little bit more, it's like, I think a lot of the times we get focused on the actual doing and not on the pre and post work that we should be doing or that actually that we just don't think about that we do naturally. So that's kind of why we want to outline those kinds of steps and what are some of the ingredients or tools that make those things successful for you. Give us some examples of those things that often get neglected or overlooked or forgotten about. I'd say one of them is, and I'm going to go straight to one of the big pieces, is um, highlighting the value of what you've done. And how do we kind of show the research uh, opportunities that your departments and everybody have done and make it relevant for other teams across your organization? So I like to call that saving that recipe for later. Because you want to show that, yes, we did do some research here, and there are outcomes that kind of happen. And I don't want to repeat the same stuff that somebody else already did. So how do we kind of combat that perception? And that's one of those that I put together in our repositories. And we think about it. We have them all the time. There's asset repositories, there's design repositories, you know, you know, marketing materials. But do we ever really think about keeping one for research or is it just stuck in the backlog of your, you know, like your documents folder or in somebody's email? But that doesn't do us any good as far as visibility. So how can we bring that out to the organization as a whole? I would also say that thinking about another place is who's the chef? Like, have we already think about who are you assigning to do this research? Is this somebody that is working as an ad hoc designer? Are you training other teams? Are you, you know, kind of shadowing somebody else and just giving your guidance and oversight? I think showing that, yeah, you can do that. And that is perfectly valid. But research brings this nice little perspective of just experience across tons of projects and products that you might not normally get. So take advantage of it and show people the expertise that you bring. Yeah. So I want to go back to that first point, the highlighting the value after you've done the research. That's something that I know a lot of people can find challenging or sometimes it just does forget to be done. But in particular, not just showing the value to like the product team that you're specifically doing this research with or for, but, you know, across the companies. Do you have an example of a way that that value has been shown at a much higher level? Yeah. I mean, one of the big pieces was when I started introducing usability testing on actual cadence. And we started off with one of the teams that they they brought in research. They brought me in at just as a lip service because the designer knew how important it was. And they're just like, eh, we're just going to let you, we're going to do this little study for you just to kind of keep you quiet. And we went ahead and I did the study and I started kind of probing a little deeper because they thought that their product was already finished. And I probed and showed and did usability tests and gave the video archives and everything. Immediately, as soon as we get into this readout with this product manager, his face just starts dropping. <laughs> right in the middle of it. And he's like, oh, 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 no, we have to redo this. Because it wasn't as finished as they thought it was or? <laughs> not at all. It was great and not like, I feel like that's like schadenfreude right there. But it's, it was great for him to see that what you think 
and he thought he was testing the whole time because he had like this group of people he was always talking to, but he didn't quite realize that there was an insular bubble. So when we did this report, he's like, I need to share this with everybody. I need to show like my team. I need to show them and I need to show this. And so when he would be in other meetings, he'd start like pointing back to that research and saying, Hey, did you look at this? Did you see this information? Hey, look, there's another project. And so by giving them access to those studies, other people were able to kind of learn from the lessons that that one team had and not make those same kinds of mistakes. So it ended up increasing some of the turnaround times that we had because we weren't like promising, oh yeah, we're going to be ready to go to market in this week. And they're like, no, 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 hold on. It hasn't gone through UX yet. And so giving UX as a whole a little bit more leg to stand on, as well as increasing our visibility throughout the organization. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it's interesting that I have observed a very similar thing where when you get someone from outside of UX, especially if it's a product management driven company, someone on that PM team, you know, who is going to be able to amplify it, right? Because not everyone would necessarily have the same sort of open-minded <laughs> reaction <laughs> as that PM did. So, you know, if, if you find a PM who's very resistant, then keep looking because there are for sure going to be people around that are interested in finding the the truth, right? The value. Yeah. I think it's I think it's also a matter of how willing are you to make your product better. And I think a lot of times we get caught in the rat race of yes, it has to be done, it just has to ship out or we have to just have a new feature as opposed to really finding somebody that understands that our perception isn't about the new things that we have, but about how well our whole product can do its job. And I think when you find that PM, they're willing to go, or whoever that champion is, they're willing to go a little bit further and they're willing to be wrong. And I think that's one of the interesting places that research can take you. It's it's kind of exposing those truths that you didn't already know. I love doing that. I love finding out that this is a totally different thing from where I expected. And, you know, sometimes it's validating to know that you were right all along, but I think we learn more in the unexpected than we do with things that we already supposed. I agree. That's a really good feeling, even though you know that like, it means work for everybody. But nevertheless, it feels good because then somehow it feels like the work you're putting into doing this testing is of value. Yeah. It's like we didn't waste our time. We had something to say. Even the worst test that ever happens ever, you still get something good out of it. And so it proves the value of that process. I'm curious at a high level, what would you say are the essential ingredients for this recipe. What are some of the things that you must have to get started or to be effective? I would say the top things that you actually have to have are obviously your users. <laughs> How are you going to do this? And that's one of the things like get your users. Another one that's more expected, but I would also say another one that we do need is the tasting or the getting your pilots done. Because a lot of times we tend to just gloss over this step and we're like, oh, we can just do it. And it's never a great idea to go out without kind of that safety net of that pilot test. And I even like to take it a step further and go with the people on the project just to kind of ease their nerves because nothing can sabotage you faster than your internal team believing in you. And getting them in on the ground floor and showing them what happens is almost essential. And I think we tend to go ahead and say, hey, we're going to test it outside and make sure that they're done. And they do a pilot test that way. But giving that pilot to somebody that's 
going to be expecting your results, it's invigorating because they can vouch for them if they're talking to your team. They can say, hey, no, I've done this already. I know what's going on. It's okay. It might feel weird, but it gives you some value. So I think having them as that pilot champion is a good thing as in addition to somebody that's clean. And I would also say the other one is checking to really see if you're done. This is a a pre-results because there's nothing worse. And I've had this happen to me many a time early on was, hey, here's my results. Well, did you answer this question? Did you answer this question? Well, no, because you didn't tell me to. That that was a goal in our initial research. But I can look for it. Oh, and it just makes you look a little bit off. So I like having that collaborative analysis and showing, hey, this is the direction that we're going in. What are your thoughts so far? I'm not going to change the data based on what you're saying, but what I am going to do is look and see if there's any other questions or anything else that I'm not addressing. So that way, when we come back, we're all on the same page. And again, it's that unified front when we're presenting to the larger team as a whole. All three of those were very good points. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, and I have actually experienced the same thing where you pilot with an, an internal person and they end up being a champion for the testing that you're doing. Let's talk about effective research. So what are some of the things that you've observed either in others' projects or your own that can reduce the effectiveness of research that's been done? One of the big things that I always see is not being clear on what the goals are or what the active things that you're trying to measure or understand are. And a lot of times it comes in because somebody's changed the direction of the project or they're looking to answer a different question than it came from when it started. And I think one of the things that we end up with a lot of the time is not having a good place to say, hey, that wasn't an initial point of research, but it's a great tangent. So that's one of the things I like to combat with almost an intake meeting. And I take this from my agency life where we've sat down with client and we're getting all of those project points. And I like to bring that into research projects in a more formalized method, just because we don't tend to remember everything that we want to ask and trying to put that down on paper and then sending it out to the team like afterwards to show them, hey, this is what we're trying to answer during this project. Are we missing anything? Are there any other goals or any other avenues we need to explore? So when we come up with the solution, we're actually coming up with something that's completely valid for you. And I think that's something that's so hard. And it's always a missed opportunity when we don't get that because it tends to derail us later and the team that's requesting it later. It really kind of impacts us more than them. Yeah, I have found that actually identifying the objectives can be one of the hardest steps in doing research. Have you found that? (laughs) (laughs) It really is because everybody's like, I just wanted it to be better. And I'm like, but what is better? (laughs) What do you mean by better? In in an ideal world, what would that mean? I think I like to ask that question a lot too. Like, what's your ideal goal? What what would you ultimately like to see happen with this project? And then we can kind of work backwards from there. Because a lot of people don't really know how to identify the objective a lot of the time. They're just trying to measure to a KPI and we have to help them. Yeah, I'd like to actually dig into that a little bit more because it is one of the biggest difficulties that I've seen when I've taught research and then in just teams that I've worked with trying to get them to identify their objectives. What are some ways, some other sort of questions that you ask to help people understand that an objective, and we're talking about an objective, not the actual question you're going to ask people. But how do you help your teams understand what an objective is? First of all, I want to know what they think. 
the deliverable is. And I always ask that kind of first. And they're like, oh, we want to test this new thing. And then I kind of work back from, okay, but why is this new item together? Why are you putting this together? And I'd like to say why a lot. <laughs> I feel like that annoying little kid, that five-year-old kid that asks every single question all the time. I always want to see what feedback did they get? What feedback have they gotten lately? Or what prompted this project to start? Or what was the initial issue that you may have had? And then trying to get them to verbalize those. And when they they say that, we can kind of start to work backwards a little bit and say, okay, well, what was the cause of that? Why was that an issue in the first place? Oh, okay. So are we looking to improve that? Are we looking to change something else? Are we looking to make this because a competitor is doing this? You really just have to kind of see what was driving the project in the first place. And I think it often happens we don't have the right people even in the room to kind of tell us that. And sometimes if we probe with those questions, we can start to get those people in that can give you those answers that can lead down to a better set of defining a project goal. Do you have any examples of that? I'd say, uh, do you have any feedback from customers if it's something that's existing? like to go ahead and unpack those. Or even if we're looking at something new, what's your roadmap? What's your new drivers for the next quarter or the next year? And we can try to use that as something that they can start off with. And then from there, kind of unpack, okay, what is this product even trying to solve? Sometimes that's an answer in there. Who's using this product? Can you tell me a little bit about your users? Tell me a little bit about what they do on a day-to-day basis. And see if we can get to understand if this is going to if we're looking to do something that's solving for workflow or are we solving for an existing customer and a new need or a deficit that's in the current system? I always like to ask, I love feedback if we can get it, but what would you like to see this do? I think that's another one we usually go with as well. So another thing that I'd really like to know, we've been talking about this in our field quite a lot the last few years, which is research being done by non-researchers. So teams who might not have a specialized user researcher, but they would like to incorporate user research into their process. And first of all, I'd love to know your opinion on that and the potential drawbacks as well as benefits. And then, you know, is this approach that you're talking about something that could be used by anyone? Well, I definitely am pro that actually. And the reason I am, I'm a little bit pro other users getting involved in user researches. With the in-house teams, we tend to be super, super light. And I don't think I've ever had more than like three people on a team. And I think we have to evangelize this out. We have to train our UX designers and architects to be able to perform that user research because honestly, they're going to be the ones closer to the project. They're the ones interacting with the project teams on a day-to-day basis. And I think that it's not so much that they shouldn't be doing the research. I think it's that we need to ensure that they're doing the right research and we need to empower them with the right tools and the right techniques to show that we're not leaning towards the yes. And I think we also have to train them to accept, to accept that no, to accept that their designs are wrong or that there's gray areas or missing information. So I am so pro designers doing that. And I love like actually showing designers and almost kind of training those research hybrids to say, Hey, this is what you would do. These are some suggestions. Let's, let's work together and bounce this off. Hey, this is a really small project. Let's go ahead and have you run most of this and we'll sit in to start and help you. And then you can take some of the other ones and we'll come in and help you do some analysis to kind of build those skills up. So when it comes to it, we usually like to have it as a filter 
yes, run it through the research team and see what happens. But I do want to empower them to do it on their own. For sure. And there are plenty of teams who don't have any researchers. So, which I guess you could say that by doing some research, a team can show the value of doing the research if they're doing it effectively. Right. I think that's a big caveat right there. A lot of times we get ineffective research and we get something that's just like, duh, and it doesn't bolster the efforts to do more research later. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that, because it's not something that a lot of people would know necessarily if they're doing it in a way that's going to be effective or not. So tell me about your experience with seeing research that's been done that wasn't done effectively and kind of the aftermath of that. So I think one of the biggest aftermaths that you see of that is like just a wrong decision in the product. We've had it where PMs or product managers in our case were the only ones who had access to the client. And we're just like, no, this isn't good. But they went ahead and they started doing interviews. And when I got the transcripts of the interviews and they asked us to come back in later, well, they asked us in because the item that they were putting out had like such low user satisfaction scores and nobody was able to do certain things in there. And we're like, and they're like, but why? We talked to them and it was great. You know, we thought that this was the direction and we did what we were supposed to do. We talked to our users and we got their feedback. And yes, they did. But what ended up happening with these interviews were everything was almost a marketing spiel. It was a, well, you'd want this in your software, right? How great would it be to have this in there? And it was so positive that they didn't leave anybody any room for no. And nobody kind of saw that. They all saw, but this is what we want to know. Yes, you do want to know that, but don't you really want to understand why? Don't you want to understand the rationale that people need? Don't you want to understand the factors that are driving these users' decisions? And you can't get that from saying, you want this in your software, right? And when we showed them that and when we retested with those and asking, you know, what were some of the factors that make you do this? Tell me a little bit about your day-to-day role. Like, what factors do you do? Can I watch this? Can I see what you do? And just gaining some understanding about the user's background, their position, their role, and the information where they come from, all of the stuff that they never did, we were able to kind of understand the rationale for why they wanted this. And then that allowed the designers to design something that complemented that workflow as opposed to us building a cool feature. Undeniably cool. I'll give them that. But it wasn't satisfying the underlying need. And I think that's a big one that research is ineffective. It happens is it doesn't get at the need or it just answers too simplistic of a question. And then when they get it, it contradicts what we're actually finding out in usage and it still ends up in redoing the product anyway. So I think that's where if we can answer those questions better, we can save everybody a lot more time. Yeah, I am hearing a couple different things in that <laughs> that you're talking about that I have also observed. <laughs> In, you know, research gone sideways, where you've got folks who don't necessarily know how to ask questions, ask very leading questions, or in some cases, asking the user, how would you design it? Or like, I literally have heard that. Oh, no. Yeah. And so, you know, there's just the whole not knowing how to ask the question. And that's something that I think there are some fantastic books out there 
about asking users questions that are very good at teaching people how to ask better questions. But then there's also what I'm hearing you saying is not asking about the right thing. So only kind of focusing maybe on the products that you're designing as opposed to the user's workflow. Yeah, that's one of the big ones I I usually do see. It's just, you don't understand why, or even testing it effectively is another one that I've seen is, and I think this is, this is one that happens to anybody. We did a contextual inquiry with, and I, I had many months in trying to get on this subject with these people. And I bring in some product people and then we, we want to show you what happens. We want to do this. Here are some resources. Here's some tools. I'm going to give a training on how to ask these questions or how to do this type of research. And they're all like, yeah, yeah, we got it. We got it. And we get out there. And as soon as we sit down to work with the user, the user gets stuck, which is invariable. It happens. And then the PM just goes, did you know you could do this? And I'm just like, no, please don't do that. And it just blows it up in your face. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Oh, those moments are are tough. You can use it as a learning moment as long as you're there, I suppose, watching. <laughs> yep. That's all you can do. <laughs> This is fantastic. I'm really excited about this presentation that you're giving. And I think even for people who can't make it to the UX Convey that's in Seattle, fortunately, those presentations are made available online afterwards. But for anyone who can make it to the UX Convey, it is totally worth going. Have you been to UX Convey before, by the way? Oh, yeah. I went and I loved it. One, I love Seattle. So I'm totally jelly of you guys over there. And <laughs> I love just that town. And this conference is really great. It's a great way to connect with everybody in your discipline. And like I said, I'm focused in research, but I still find a lot of value in these kinds of conferences and being able to connect on all of the other sides because you know we integrate with these teams and knowing what's going on and some different tips and tricks that can help you in helping your team is super awesome. And if you can't make it even into my talk, I'll be there that night and hosting a panel with some really awesome people and kind of answer some questions around UX. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, before I let you go, a couple last questions. One is, we are UX cake. We love cake. I want to know your favorite cake and I want to know your favorite baking show. So I would say my favorite cake ever is German chocolate cake because I am in love with coconut and pecans and it is like my ultimate cake weakness. And I would say that one, I love the British Bake Off show. That's great. But I like the kids bake off even better. Kids doing stuff that I could never do in my life just just blows my mind. (laughs) That's why I want to see it. You're right. That does sort of make it the next level of impressiveness. <laughs> I'm like, wow, you can't even reach the stove. And you're like making awesome <laughs> creations. I'm so jealous of you. <laughs> awesome. And then before I let you go, how can people follow you online, Danielle? Um, available on LinkedIn. I am Danielle Jones on LinkedIn. Dan, yell, just like that. And also Danielle Jones on Twitter. So I am around there and usually spouting off weird and random things, usually. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Danielle. I just want to thank you again for joining me on UX Cake and really enjoyed our conversation. If you enjoyed this episode of UX Cake, please leave us a review on iTunes. It's really easy to do on your phone or on your laptop. We know not everyone has an iPhone. Reviews really do help others find the show 
and it also shows your support for the podcast. We really want to hear from you. You can connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and our website at uxcake.co. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a bite.